Hello and welcome to Charity Chats. This is episode 13, I think. Or is it 14? Well, I think it was our anniversary last week. Oh, it was, yes. So it is episode 13. My name is Samuel Davies and I'm here, as always, with my friend, colleague and collaborator, Vicky Bratherton, a.k.a. VB. Hello. Hi, Sam. I thought you'd forgotten my name for a second then. I thought I had too. (laughs) <laughs> I am I'm nursing a bit of a cold this month, and um, not the whole month, but during this uh, recording. And so I have a glass of medicinal wine with me, which um, is potentially going to have an impact on proceedings. Today, VB, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about direct marketing, and in particular, direct mail. So all those kind of cold, cold mailings, warm mailings, um, letters through the post, good old-fashioned postal um, mailings. So we're going to talk you through what the, the definitions of them are, the Code of Fundraising Practice guidance around direct mail and direct marketing. We'll have an interview later on. I've been doing this uh, direct mail for many, many years, VB, um, as you know. And um, my first direct mail campaign was actually when I was 13 years old. I had a paper round. In fact, I had two paper rounds in uh, lovely Bedfordshire. And uh, I used to send out Christmas cards every Christmas. And uh, the first year I did it, I was pleasantly surprised when, when I got back to the shop the following week, I had lots of um, tips uh, waiting for me, which was really sweet. That's good customer service, that, Sam. You're being rewarded for that. Absolutely. I mean, really, looking at it now, I was actually setting up a dialogue uh, with my my supporters at that time were my um, yeah. people buying the papers. That's a great example. Yeah. And now Start I, young. I lend that expertise to trying to raise money for charities, which is great. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because actually, yeah, in my sort of previous role um, in philanthropy and major donor fundraising, we spent good weeks handwriting Christmas cards to all of our major and high value donors when we did our sort of Christmas mailing and it worked the the year the first year that we tried that and did that it we had a massive response um so that personal touch of handwriting cards does work as uh, Stephen Pigeon will testify or he's written an article that's on third sector about um shunning hand handwritten letters can be ignoring those who donate goods to charity shops and like that personal touch so handwriting is one way to go but perhaps we're jumping the gun a little bit there well i don't know i mean we can we can talk about that because it's quite interesting i mean one i suppose handwritten letter when i think of a handwritten letter i think of you know i suppose right back you know when i was a kid my parents used to get me to write thank you letters for all of the gifts i got for my birthday and for christmas you know send those letters out to our friends and family and things like that and uh, and then as I grew older, VB, I used to write letters, even love letters to um, to people, you know, to women that I'd. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Essentially, to... <laughs> well, I never got one, so I'm very disappointed about I'm that. Writing one as we speak. Now, I um, you know, as, as kind of direct mail, I suppose, could be seen as almost a a love letter of sorts to uh, to your supporters. What do you think about yeah. that? Love letter might be a sort of slightly strong word, but you are sort of you are declaring your you know your passion and your reason for being as a charity as an organisation and trying to engage with the person that you're writing to and to make them support you for life. So yeah, I think that's a really nice analogy actually. A love letter. The guy we mentioned earlier, Stephen Pigeon. He his you know we've talked about him before and his love your donors to death. So that you know that sort of that initial direct mail that is your initial love letter that can can spark off a relationship with it with a supporter. So yeah, no, I think that's a really nice analogy. 
Direct mail is uh, is is about maintaining and building a relationship in some ways. Absolutely. And the Institute of Fundraising in their in their sort of guidance and um, practice they they very much um, what's the word I'm looking for? Instill the values of you know, actually personalisation and making sure that your, you know, the the mails mailings that you're sending out are specifically targeted. That you're not just sending out, you know, willy nilly and just sending out to every Tom, Dick and Harry without knowing something about them and what drives them, even if it's just you know their sort of their their gender, their age, and their you know where they live. Having that personal touch can really make the difference between people thinking they've done their homework and they know what drives me. I think it, it makes you more likely to give if the charity is in, trying to engage with you in a more personal way. You could just get one that's, I remember one of the worst art marketing um, campaigns I ever got was from a, a, a well-known cancer charity, shall we say. And it was came in a plain brown envelope and it was two si- well, four sides of so two sheets of A4 paper, two sides of full text, mm. no images, nothing, just all typed out. Um, I can't even remember what it was about now because I kind of looked at it and I sort of read the first paragraph and then turned the pages over and thought, I'm not going to read all this. It, it looked boring. It was very obviously a cold mail that they were sending out to you know, thousands of people in the hope that they get something in return. And it just it was so uninspiring that actually the, that fact kind of stuck with me. But I've seen, I'm pleased to say, I've seen much better examples from that charity, but from other charities as well um, since then. So I think just making having that personal touch and making things engaging, not just to look at but to read as well, is, is extremely important. Direct mail, I suppose, like a lot of communications, it's not about what you say; it's about how the person feels when they read it. And with that in mind, you know, your example is they could it could have been the most interesting information in that letter that you received. But it's all for nothing if you came away thinking, you know, oh, this was, you know, hard work or whatever you felt at the time, you know, when when you received it. So I suppose that's the thing. Kind of less is more in terms of content yeah. and um, more emotion, kind of more of a feeling is something that we should be looking for in every type of communication, yeah. really. Definitely. And I think, it, you know, as soon as you take, I think even the envelope needs to grab you. And I've seen some fantastic examples of, of how charities have done that. One particular example that springs to mind is um, a support charity called VSO, which I'm so sure many people will know of, Volunteers Services Overseas. And they sent me a Christmas mailing about two years ago now, I think it was. And the, the outside of the envelope was a beautiful kind of African tribal print. So in, instantly off the doormat, it just, it just hit, you know, hit me and I thought, wow, I want to open this letter and see what it's about. And when I opened it inside, the um, there was a kind of leaflet and it was on it was an image and you could just see this little baby's poking out from the same sort of print that was before that you, it became it became obvious that it was actually a fabric print and it opened out as, as, a, as if it was a blanket that was covering this tiny little baby. It, it wanted support to help premature babies in Africa and it was a really, it was just a really beautifully put together direct mail, piece of direct mail. I just wanted to give to this because I was so impressed with the way it looked and it it really did tug on your heartstrings and it, it had that personal touch made it really really personal and made me think if I help this I will be helping this you know babies like this so it was really it sort of really tugged at your emotions but without being too hard hitting it was it showed the care and love that they as a charity you know as a charity give to the you know the, the families and the babies and the mothers that are, are out there so there was you know really bad I remember, but there are some really good ones as well 
Stephen Pidgeon, um, in that article you mentioned, I think at some point he talks about seeing some bad examples of how people communicate to uh, supporters that they've never asked or talked to before, even thanked before, and they go to those people, their first contact with them is, will you leave a gift in your will? You know, which is rude, and he, he kind of says that it's rude, because, you know, if you... If you take, I think his example is, you know, people that take clothes to a charity shop and then they, they leave their details of the charity shop, which is kind of a regular thing that happens now for gift aid purposes. Well, the charity who run that shop then contact them. You would want that initial contact to be, thank you very much for leaving us your, um, you know, your goods to, to sell on your behalf for the benefit of the charity or something to that effect, maybe more articulate than that. The the kind of the equivalent would be, you know, when I was a child receiving a gift from an elderly relative and sending them a letter saying, um, will you include me in your will? You know, it's a bit random. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, not to mention rude. I'd have got a smack around the head, I think. <laughs> it's very true and I think there's you know there's, there's different ways that you can market your your gift in wills you know I, I see plenty of charities who if they have a stall somewhere they'll have leaflets out there that tell people how can they, they can you know leave a gift in their will but it's very much open that you know people can get, go up to them and talk to them if they wish to it's not sort of coming through and sort of directly asking will you leave a gift in your will that kind of direct mail needs to be reserved for your warmest supporters that you've actually taken on that supporter journey. So do you know that you're asking them at the right time for the right reasons? I love that. I love that, uh, that analogy that you made. I suppose um, it's just common sense, isn't it? A lot of this, a lot of the DM stuff. If you're writing a letter to somebody, what do you want to say in that letter? You know, what do you want them to feel? And how can you help to create that feeling? And it's not about being fake. It's just about being understanding about people, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It might be useful to go through some of the the codes of fundraising practice that the Institute of Fundraising um, have put in, in connection with direct marketing. The definition that, that they put it as is direct marketing is defined in the Data Protection Act 1998 as a communication of advertising or marketing materials to particular individuals and includes the sale of goods and services and the promotion of an organization's aims and ideals. Direct mail is a form of direct marketing. It is any print-based fundraising material delivered primarily through the letterbox and encompasses mail, both solicited and unsolicited, door drops and inserts delivered within a third-party publication. Sorry, my voice went there. The guidance they give around preparation is that organisations must ensure that cold mailing lists have been run through the mailing preference service to ensure they're not sending mail to those who have requested not to receive it. You can get an extremely hot water if you send something to somebody who has already signed up for mail preference service. When it comes to um, personal data, so the um, it's for, you know absolutely forbidden. Organisations must not share personal data for in return for payment with any other organisation that will you know for that organisation's marketing or fundraising purposes. And even if not for payment, organisations must not share personal data of an individual with a, with another organisation unless they have received the express consent of that individual that they may do so. So it's extremely important not to not to share personal data. Finally, 
managing communications preferences. Now we know that preferences is something that's going to become, um, it's going to change in the next couple of years. Um, currently the IOF website says that organisations must include on all fundraising communications sent to a named individual, clearly displayed details of how the recipient can, by a single step, opt out of receiving such communications from the charity. And this must be at least the same font size as the larger of any text for the recipient's personal details or any text specifying the donation amount. So basically, you can't get away with putting it in teeny tiny little writing. It has to be clear how you, how you can opt out. And you can also check out the Information Commissioner's Office, ICO, which has got lots of information. They've actually got a, it's about 40 page, a 50 page document, which is definitely worth a read through. It sounds a bit intimidating, but... Um, 50 pages? 50 pages. But, you know, a lazy <laughs> Sunday fun, afternoon you know. or, you know, maybe at work. Um, it's worth a look through. In an ideal scenario, charities should, we should be getting to know our supporters well enough that we can give them the options and be very clear with them about the options for us to communicate to them, the yeah. types of messages that they will get you know, from us and, and what they would like to receive from us and what they wouldn't. The better we get to know our recipients, the better we'll understand whether they will respond to the mail and the reduced costs will then come from that. And I think, it's, I think we're going to see a shift to a much stronger case for relationship fundraising. I think it's going to actually encourage charities to treat their supporters with much more care and love and, and respect, which can only be a good thing. Hopefully we'll see a sort of less corporate and perhaps warmer charity sector. I don't know, mm. that's my prediction. I think that's, I think that's exactly it on, on the head, to be honest. I think charities, when I first got into charity, really, I worked for a small charity and then I went to a larger charity and there was a big difference in how we spoke to our supporters. In some ways it was a bit slicker. So we were <laughs> sending out more letters and um, you know more emails and things like that. But the kind of level of personal relations that we had with the charity, because with our supporters, because of the size of the charity, was very different. Now I suppose with all the modern technologies that we have available to us, we can get better at that anyway. And mm. one person can, in theory, talk to thousands of people every year and get it right. Now, we're lucky this month to be speaking with Sarah Stoney, who is a senior DM executive with years of experience working at various charities around the UK. Hello, what steps should charities take before sending out a DM appeal? Um, I think charities need to define what they hope to achieve by the mailing, so what the objective is, and then once they've worked out what the objective is, um, decide who they would like to send it to, because um, the data brief is a critical part of any mailing, so that's where you'd, you'd, um, write, you'd kind of define what supporters you're going to send it to, and then, and then include any exclusions, um, such as anyone who has died, because you obviously don't want to be mailing them. And then once you've worked out your objective and who you're going to send it to, um, you need to decide on the proposition. Um, presumably you're asking for a donation, so why are you asking for a donation? What's the need? What's the problem you're trying to resolve? And also what is the solution that the charity provides? Um, and then this is quite important. Um, you must ensure you've got some form of content, kind of like photos or um, a case study perhaps. So someone who's benefited from your charity's work, you can tell a nice story. Um, so I think that's the crux of a DM appeal. Should uh, receiving a DM appeal make us feel? 
I think it should make you feel like you're a part of the charity, kind of an extension of it. Um, I think it, as, a, as a supporter, I think all supporters need to feel valued um, and they also all need to feel that they're making a difference. And they need to be able to trust the charity and you almost want them to admire the charity's work. And I think this is an interesting one, which doesn't always happen, but I think it's good for supporters to be surprised. So maybe you're telling them something they don't already know about the charity or something different. And ultimately, you just want someone to be moved by it. What would be an example of a bad DM appeal? There are quite a few ways a DM appeal can go wrong. So sometimes it can be inappropriate for the audience. Um, for example, in terms of content, it might be too technical. And you might use too much jargon that supporters might not understand. Um, so that's one problem. Another problem might be in not having a clear um, proposition. So you're not having a clear problem and a clear solution because that's the clarity of that is really important. And um, it could be poorly targeted. So to people that have never given a gift in 10 years or something, poorly timed. So it could be too close to a previous appeal, um, which is never good. That just upsets supporters. Um, inappropriate asks, so you may be asking for too much money or too little money. So I think that kind of sums it up. Fantastic. And finally, how should charities measure the effectiveness of a DM appeal? So there's various different types of DM appeals. If it's a simple cash appeal, it's quite easy. You just need to know who you've mailed, who's responded, what your total income is, what your average gift is, what the response rate is. So say you had 100 supporters and 10 um, supporters responded, you'd have a response rate of 10%, and then measure that against your targets that you set yourselves at the beginning. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us for Charity Chat. Hopefully that's uh, that's great for all our listeners. Hopefully that's some interesting insights into direct mail. There's more stuff on our website and all the links that we've used. VB, what are we going to be talking about next month? So next month we're going to talk about telemarketing. So we're keeping on the marketing theme. It's going to be all about telephone fundraising and the, you know the, the the joys and the pitfalls that you can fall into. So look forward to that one. Thank you. Also, I should say to our our sponsors, Red Dog Music, for sponsoring our podcast kits. Forest of Fools, who have been playing throughout the show and will be playing us out shortly, and our IR photography for the lovely photos on our website, charitychat.org.uk. VB, a pleasure as always. Likewise, Sam. Thank you very much, and uh, I will speak to you and all of our listeners next month. Speak to you next month. Cheerio. Bye.